If you've got little ones that uh, you would like to dismiss for children's worship time, you can do that. They are third grade and below. No, not today? Okay, well, it's good. You need to be in here anyway, kids. It really is good. I'm, y'all go back and sit with your parents. Turn around, kids. Samantha is scrambling right now. Kids, I'm sorry about that. This will be really, it's funny that we're laughing about it, but it really is very appropriate for y'all to be in here today. We begin with prayer. Lord, in these next few minutes, we want to bring glory to you in the way that we lay our lives bare, in our attentiveness to the word, in our trust in your design, however unnatural it may be for our uh, build, our desires. Uh, Just pray that you'll be honored and glorified in the way that we submit ourselves to you and your design. Lord, we pray for a divine attentiveness, too, with the kids that are in here this morning. I pray that you will speak to their hearts. I pray also, especially, you'll speak to fathers. And in those cases where it's a single mom shepherding, Lord, that you will speak to her. Lord, also, uh, this morning, we want to pray for uh, family fellowship. I want to pray for Paul Blue and his family, Lord. I pray for his marriage, that he is... Uh, enjoying Christ, and it is gushing over onto his, his marriage and his family life. Lord, I pray that the gospel is, is at the center of their home life and that they are uh, feasting on your word. They're seeking to obey desperately. And I pray that as a result of that, that he's got ample resources to shepherd a people. Lord, I pray that you will guard his steps and keep him from sin. And uh, just use him as an instrument to lead a people. Lord, I pray that he will be teachable and that he will listen to wise counsel. And that as a result, the people will be grown in the faith and in worship and wonder. And Lord, we pray for this family fellowship people that they will be true partners of ours and that we will never have a spirit of competition between us and them or any other Christian church in this community, but that we will share our Lord who's so ample and share our commission that's so uh, wonderful. And Lord, there will be true shared worshipers in this community. Lord, we love serving you this morning. We love enjoying you. We look forward to gnawing on the word together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Kids, let me encourage you and parents with the kids in here. If you kind of had a curveball this morning, you thought you were going to be dismissing your kids, uh, that's okay. Hang in there. Kids, you do the very best you can to really pay attention. About half of this message is for you. Really. The first half of this message is for you, kids. And um, the second half is for fathers. We'll begin in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I've never conducted this experiment. I'm too much of a frog lover and turtle lover to actually conduct this experiment. But I've heard that if you put a frog in a pot full of water and you put them on the stove, that you can progressively, slowly turn that water up. And that before long, that frog will actually boil. All the while, able to jump out at any point. I don't know what keeps him in the water up to that point. Like I said, I've never conducted the experiment. But he can actually exist and stay in that water up to the point that it boils and that he can die in that water, never really knowing what took place because it was so progressive. As I think about that experiment, I think about the family, and I'm concerned that the family is in hot water. And that little bitty generation by generational changes, little bitty changes over time, and we don't realize that the heat is turning up and that the family is dying. It's rare, in my experience, in the last four and a half years of shepherding here in Greenville, it's rare to come in contact with a family that hasn't gone through divorce either directly or hasn't dealt with it as a brother or sister or adult brother or sister or parents that hasn't deal, had, had to deal with blended families are the results and consequences of divorce And I would offer to you that this is not a sign of health. While I've seen God use remarried people, and I've seen Him use those new families, and I've seen Him do some great things with that, we've got to appreciate that we should be about lifting up the high standard that God designs for the family, along with caring for those who are dealing with the aftermath of bad decisions. If all we do is deal with the latter and we never lift up the whole, then we don't give our children a chance to see what's supposed to take place. And we can leave them with the thought that it was good enough for me. I dealt with it. I learned a lot from it. And if it happens to my kids, then so be it. So our goal these last couple of months has been to lift up the whole. I want to encourage those who have not experienced the whole. I want to encourage those who have been through divorce or those single moms that in lifting up the whole, you should appreciate that God's grace is sufficient to minister to you in a special way. But this morning, we're going to be lifting up the whole. 
This morning we're going to be going to God's Word in hopes of teaching our children and our young people what the family should look like. We're going to go to God's Word and see what God says. We're going to trust that He is the authority on the family and on the home. And we're going to do that even if we don't like it. We're going to do that even if the design that you hear and what I read this morning, even if it sounds unnatural. Now let me say this. We're going to do it especially if it sounds unnatural. Because the only thing that I know that comes natural to me is sin. So if a whole healthy family, if proper daddying and proper husbanding comes natural, then it's probably not proper husbanding and proper daddying. We need a divine design. We need a divine resource. So if what I read this morning, wives submitting to husbands, and husbands loving wives as Christ loved the church, children obeying their parents, and fathers not exasperating their children, if you're hearing all that and you're going, oh man, we got an interesting couple of Sundays coming up. Because it sounds so unnatural, embrace the fact that it's unnatural. That's a pretty good validator that it's divine. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to consider God's design for the home, even if, and especially if, it's unnatural. We're really going to do this sermon this morning kind of in two parts. And then this even... The rest of this will have two parts. This is the first part we're going to tackle this morning in two sections. The first part we're just going to address with address children and fathers and fathers and children. And then part two of this sermon is going to be week after next. And that's going to address husbands and wives. Really what we're considering in these two sermons this week and week after next is what Martin Luther called the house to feln, house rules. That's what he called them. It's a good term. The house rules. This morning we're going to focus primarily on chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you've ever wondered what a Wednesday night looks like, it looks a whole lot more like what we're going to do this morning than anything else. We're going to do what I call on Wednesday nights, low crawl. We're going to low crawl through these four verses. We're going to gnaw on it. This is not a storyteller sermon. If you like those sort of sermons where we tell a story and we read these volumes of Scripture and we hear about Achan or Korah or things like that or Saul, then this is not that kind of sermon. Those storyteller sermons actually tell a story about someone else and we realize that we're part of that story. This sermon is a little bit different in that we're going to the book of Ephesians, a book about how to be the people of God, assuming that we're in the story already. already. I'm assuming that we're the people of God that are gathering around the dinner table to try and figure out God's design for our home and for our family and for our marriage and for our parenting. So that's the assumption that I'm making. I'm assuming that you want to know what this book says of how things ought to look at home. So the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to go first. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you're a youth or if you're a young person and you're hearing children, you're thinking, ah, this really doesn't have anything to do with me today. I want you to appreciate that this word children has everything to do with you. It's not just talking about the underoo wearing children. 
If you've got Spider-Man under your, your, your jeans right now, against the pew back, this is not just for you. It's also for those who are just wearing regular tidy whities I didn't plan that visual, but that kind of developed. It's for the youth also. And it's really for the young adults who are still living with mom and dad. Because until you leave and cleave, your charge is to do what it says right here, to honor and to obey. You may not like the sound of that, but you've got to appreciate that in context, that's what this means. It's not just for little children. It really has to do with offspring. So if you're offspring and you're still under your mom and dad's house, then this is for you. There are two verbs that are expressed here for those children, youth, young people, and those two verbs are obey and honor. Those two verbs in the original language are called imperatives. An imperative, if you're familiar with that word in English, it just means an urgent sort of command. That's what this is. It would be like a shout, obey, honor, children, youth, young people. And obey is not conditional. There's no conditions captured right there in obey. It's children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey. Look over in the book of Colossians. It's the book right after, or it's two books after Ephesians. Colossians chapter 3. This will give you a how far to obey children, youth, and young people. Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, youth, and young people, you've got to appreciate that obeying your parents doesn't mean, it doesn't allow for those occasions where you think your mom and dad are stupid. There are no exceptions there. There's no exclusions there. And Even when you're really confident, even when you really think I've got some firm, solid evidence here that dad is making a bad decision here, the charge is to obey in everything. There's not everything but. And then that second verb there, honor, has to do with the character of that obedience. That you obey them not disrespectfully, because obedience this disrespectful is not honoring Honor and obedience go together. They're brothers and sisters in the same family. So children, youth, young people, you are commanded to obey your parents and to honor them. And honor should be the character of your obedience. Now, if you're like me, especially as a young person, as a kid, you're asking the question, why? Okay, it says it, I see that, I appreciate that there are commands, I see the two verbs, obey and honor, but Pastor Ben, I don't really understand why. There's three reasons right here in this passage. The first reason is because it's right. It's not the best reason, but it is a reason. Go to any tribe, on any continent, go see the Aborigines, go see the Scottish, go see the Koreans. And in their culture, even apart from Christianity, it's just right to obey your parents. It's proof that the works of the law are written on the hearts of man. This is the way God's designed it. It's just right to obey your parents, children. 
That's the first reason. The second reason is because it made the top ten. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. You keep your, feet, your finger in Ephesians, but turn over to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Parents, if you're sitting with kids that are not turning in their Bibles, you can turn your Bible and show them this. I want kids to see this. If you're drawing pictures of Spider-Man, I encourage you to put that aside and engage this. Kids. Exodus chapter 20. I'll give you a little picture of context. This is the people of God that have been delivered from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've gone to Mount Sinai, and God is going to give them the Ten Commandments. So Sinai quakes this day, and God speaks to his people. And here's what he gives them, the Ten Commandments. The first one, have no other gods before me. The second one, don't make any carved images. The third, don't take the the name of the Lord in vain. The fourth, remember the Sabbath. The fifth, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then there's the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, ten. The sixth, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet. Now, the reason I'm taking you to these is so you can see that it made the top ten of what God expresses to his people. The heart of God on how the people of God should operate is that children obey their parents. It's just the right thing to do. And that when you do that, there will be blessings in store. I want you to appreciate that not only did it make the top ten, it even made the vertical list. Let me explain this to you. Look there at your Ten Commandments. The first first five commandments are vertical, meaning they're between you and God. The second five commandments are horizontal. They have to do with man to man. The first, you don't have any other gods before me. Don't make a carved image. There's, remember, the Sabbath. There's not, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And then right there it is, number five. Honor your mom and dad. And then you've got the verticals. Don't murder anybody. Don't commit any adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness and don't covet. Now, you've got to appreciate the gravity that this command is listed in the top five is that children, when you obey your parents, what you've got to realize is that you are actually obeying God. Is your mom and dad God? No. But God has put them in charge of you and that it's in your obedience to them that you are obeying the living God. And when you thumb your nose at your mom and dad, kids, you've got to appreciate that you are thumbing your nose at the living God. (laughs) Think about that. When you disobey your parents, when you're disrespectful to them, when you dishonor them, it is as if you are disrespecting and disobeying the living God. Not only did it make the top ten, it made the top five the vertical list. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to be going back and forth from Proverbs to Ephesians for the rest of the morning. So just kind of keep your finger in Proverbs. We'll be jumping around there. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1. says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. 
A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. I associated this one with the top ten of what the picture of of when you obey your parents that you are actually obeying God is because I want you to appreciate that the scoffer, it's as if you're scoffing God. And I want you to know that as a shepherd, a shepherd of 10 years, I've got a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 4-year-old, and as a shepherd of 10 years, I will offer to you kids and young people, youth, hear this. Your dad, in some cases, if you're, you have a single parent, mom, they don't need hecklers. They don't need scoffers. They don't need critics. They need cheerleaders. They need teammates that are saying, Go, Dad. Do the hard work of shepherding. I'm on your side because in honoring you, I'm honoring the living God. That's my encouragement to you as young people. To realize that your dad or your shepherd does not need a scoffer or a heckler. On Saturday nights, I come up here by myself and... um, I spent some time going over the message and just spent some time with the Lord. And last night as I thought through this, man, I had some really snide remarks for youth. I really did. And I want you to know, I'm sharing this as a confession. That, man, I had big plans of talking down to you so you'd feel quite small. And I was so convicted about that last night because the second half of this sermon speaks to that. I want to speak to you, youth, with gentleness and respect. And I want you to know, I want you to realize, youth, that someday you will realize that your parents are not stupid. The sooner the better. Someday you will appreciate, I promise, you will appreciate, you will look back and recognize that in rejecting your father's instruction, in rejecting your parents' leadership, that you are and were being quite foolish. And that it's pride that makes you think that you've figured it all out as a teenager. And I'm saying that to you with all gentleness and respect. Because I don't want to be guilty of talking down to you any more than I want your daddies to be guilty of talking down to you. Listen to me, youth. The reason that we obey and honor children is because it's right. You obey and honor because it made the top ten. And lastly, you obey and honor because it's about the Lord. It's right there in that passage. The children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Give you a little picture of context as you're turning there. Jesus has gone off to the temple to teach and to study. And his parents, he's just a young boy. His parents are trying to figure out where he went. And they found him in verse 49. He says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. In verse 51, listen what it says. And this Jesus, this sinless, this son of God, who's fully God and fully man, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Young people, I want you to appreciate that you can be quite the young man 
or young woman. You can be really intelligent. You can have a pattern of great decisions. But you are not perfect any more than anybody else. This Lord of ours was the only sinless, perfect young man, young boy. And what did he do? He submitted to imperfect parents. I'm charging you young people, you've got to appreciate, you've got to realize that if our Lord can do it, you can do it. If our Lord did it, you must do it. You're charged with it. Because it's about the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. So He's model. You see Him right there. But He's also means. I thought about how I would explain this to my kids, so since I'm focusing more on kids, I'm going to explain it kidward this morning. What does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? Throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and all over the book it says, in the Lord, through the Lord, by the Lord. So here's how I want to explain this, kids. Most of you are familiar with Star Wars and how Luke Skywalker did all this crazy stuff. With the force. He was able to do all these crazy things with the force. My kids are really, they're smiling right now because I know that they're so into Star Wars. Doing these things like obeying your parents in the Lord is like Luke Skywalker doing all these great things through the force. That's in obeying the Lord. It's in honoring the Lord. It's in enjoying the Lord. It's in being aware and mindful of the gospel that you will find not only the model for obeying your parents, but also the means. You'll find the fuel for obeying your parents. You'll find the the resources that you need. It's in the believing that you'll find what you need to obey your parents. Now, I'm also thinking back to when I was a young person of what I might be thinking right now. Okay, Pastor Ben is established. It's right there in the Bible, right there in Ephesians, that we are to obey and honor. Those are the two verbs. And we're supposed to do it because it's right. Go to any Aborigine tribe, and they're saying the same thing. But also, we're supposed to do it because it made the top ten, and even the vertical five. But we're also supposed to do it because it's about our Lord. Now, you might be asking the question that I would be asking as a young man, hopefully I'm not asking these sort of questions now, but I want to at least acknowledge the the question, what's in it for me? I appreciate what you're saying, Pastor Ben, but what's in it for me? I'll tell you first what's in it for you if you don't obey and honor your mom and dad. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. Remember, Youth, I'm speaking to you with gentleness and respect, but I'm going to shoot straight with you. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20 says, If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. What that means is you might look, you say, well, I don't really have a lamp, so that doesn't apply to me. What that has to do with has to do with this experience of darkness, this experience of heartache, this experience of pain that I assure you, you will experience if you thumb your nose at your parents. It is a promise. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. 
says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Is that graphic enough for you? <laughs> I told you I'd shoot straight with you. Really what this means, it doesn't mean that a raven's going to come fly. To, of course, this could happen, but I don't think it will. <laughs> that a raven's going to swoop down as you're disobeying your parents and just pop your eye right out. I think what this is saying is that if you disobey your parents, if you mock your father, if you're the heckler that I'm telling you that your daddy doesn't need, if you're the scoffer and the critic that I'm telling you that your daddy doesn't need, if you scorn to obey your mother, I'm speaking to my own children, that for some reason, this may happen in your home, give my wife a lot more trouble than they give me. I don't understand it, but I see it. Young people, if you scorn to obey your mother, what this means is, is that you will lose your way as if your eye has been plucked out. You will fumble about through life without the loving counsel of your parents, without the loving leadership of your parents. They'll be trying, they'll be offering, but you won't be listening to it. And I promise you, you will fumble and stumble. Now, what's in it for me? That's what's in it for you if you don't obey and honor children, youth, and young people. But here's what's in it for you if you do. There's blessings right here. It's the first commandment, the only commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I like how individual we all think. We're all very Western, so we start thinking about me. What's in it for me? This is the blessing on me. But what you've got to appreciate in this context, when God is sharing these commandments with the people, it is that the blessing has to do with the entire people. They're on their way to the promised land. And he's saying, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for when you do, it will make it to where the people inhabit the land for longer. The people will be blessed as a people. There's a corporate blessing where all the people are blessed. It's not just an individual promise, but a community promise. The people of God will benefit from children who obey and honor their parents. What an awesome blessing, children. To think that when you obey your mom and dad, and when you obey them with the proper character of honor, that the people of God are blessed. That ought to be awesome to you, to think that you can have that impact on your church and on the people of God. Now, I told you the first half of the sermon was going to be toward children. The second half is going to be aimed at fathers. Like I said, in some cases, it'll be functional shepherds, a single mom, but especially fathers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to appreciate that in the verses that we've read before that have to do with children, it's children obey your parents. See this interaction between children and parents. And now it shifts to fathers. It doesn't say parents anymore. It just says fathers. Why doesn't it say parents here? Because... The fathers slash husbands are at the nexus. Introduce that word to you. The nexus of the house rules. They are at the nexus, the centerpiece. They are the, the thing that holds the whole family together. That's why they're at the center of house rules. Whether it's husbands having to do with wives or fathers having to do with children. Fathers are that important. 
Part of the problem that the family is experiencing today is that daddy eats there and daddy sleeps there. And daddy has some clothes hanging in the closet there and daddy's TV is there, but that's all the family gets of daddy. I'm bringing home the check, baby. Leave me alone. Kids, get out of here. I'm tired. Daddy's not at the nexus in that situation. Daddy's just a tenant. Daddy just eats there. And sleeps there. But fathers, you are at the center, the nexus of the home. You are to be leading the family. It is your responsibility to do what we're about to read with children. Your responsibility. Fathers. What does it say? Just like the kids are to have two verbs, honor and obey, the fathers have two verbs. The first verb you're not supposed to do, the second verb you're supposed to do. The first verb that you're not supposed to do is you are not to provoke your children to anger. These are also imperatives, like a command. Fathers, thou shalt not provoke your children to anger. Hear the shout. Hear the urgency behind it. You're not to provoke your children to anger. I want to understand this. Turn to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. I want to understand What it means to provoke my children to anger. If God's telling me as a father not to do it, I want to understand how to do it. (laughs) Because then I can diagnose whether I am doing it. (laughs) Proverbs, this is where my confession earlier is going to connect. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer. I have a lot of soft answers. It just comes really naturally to me. <laughs> Former Marine, grew up with two brothers. Soft answers come naturally to me. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, I'm going to tell you one way that, fathers, you can provoke your children to anger is to speak to them like they're dirt. Speak to youth like I planned on speaking to youth last night. Down to them like they're stupid and ridiculous. Down to them like they don't matter. Speak down to them and find out what happens. Men, we are not to do this. Fathers, we are not to speak harsh, cruel words. And I will assure you, they do not motivate. (laughs) They do not mobilize. They do not encourage a harsh word And in my case, what comes especially natural is a harsh tone. A harsh word and a harsh tone does not work. And I think for most men, these come very natural. Remember what comes natural? Sin. We need a divine design. So if you're just saying, ah, it's just how I am. Well, that's just how I am too. (gasps) That's not a good excuse. Humiliation, sarcasm, and ridicule do not build up or equip children. The irony, men, when we raise our voices at our children, (laughs) when we lose our patience or lose our temper and yell at our children, the funny thing is, is oftentimes what we're yelling at them about is a lack of self-control. And we're modeling the very same thing. Isn't that ironic? Kids, will you get some self-control? And we're yelling, screaming, red in the face. And we're demonstrating the very thing that we're charging them not to do. 
I really want to understand this. I've really done some self-examination of this over the years. Two of our kids are visually impaired, so I've really had to learn. So most of their, their communication is audible. I've really had to learn how to speak to my children. It's been a good tool. Because if I speak to them in a normal tone, they think I'm mad at them. Because they don't see my face, or i got this big smile I wear all the time. Right? <laughs> hey, kids, take out the trash. <laughs> they don't see my smile, so my, my tone sends a whole nother signal. So I've really had to spend some time chewing on this. And I think for me, what really does it is the busyness of life. I don't know if this has an impact on you, men, but when I'm the busiest, it's when I'm more prone to being harsh with my children. And I think for men, this is why men are especially prone to it, is because men are surrounded by carrots. The carrot of a bigger house, the carrot of a newer car, the carrot of that promotion, the carrot of that that critical appointment that you have coming up, the carrot of that cool backyard fence that you're working on. We're surrounded by all those carrots, and the conqueror in us is about collecting carrots. And the kids and the youth are just kind of in the way. They're a nuisance rather than a helper and a facilitator. You're just an intrusion right now, young lad. Beat it! But men are not to be driven by carrots. When we stand before the living God, we will be judged not by how many carrots we've collected, but by how we've interacted with our wives and how we've spoken to our children and our youth. Have we led them tenderly? Have we led them gently? I encourage you men to realize that work is work. Work is warehouses, and cubicles, and paychecks. And just because you had a difficult day doesn't mean you have the right to come home and speak to your children and your family like they're dirt. Some of you men, you may need to ask forgiveness after we dismiss today. Maybe in the parking lot, maybe over lunch, maybe as a family meeting this afternoon. Kids, wife, I want to tell you that I'm sorry for how I've spoken to you. I've had a lot of stress, and it's not a good excuse. It's natural. But I want to be unnatural. And by the resources, by the the school of grace, (laughs) I want the Lord to change this in me so I don't speak to you that way. Now, I realize that as I put that note in my notes here, I realize as I encourage fathers to do that, even today, this afternoon, that some of you won't do it because I said do it. Because then you'll think, you're afraid your parent or your family, your wife and children will think that you're not in charge. I don't want them to think Pastor Ben's in charge. So just because Pastor Ben said I ought to ask for forgiveness, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'll wait until a few weeks from now when they've kind of forgotten that Ben said it, and then I'll do it. I want to I encourage you. You can set the example for your family to follow your leadership when you follow my leadership right now. If you owe your family an apology, don't give it a minute to wait. Show your family that you're leadable and maybe they'll follow your leadership. Do it this afternoon. Say, wife, kids, I'm sorry for how I've spoken to you. I want to be tender and gentle toward you. Do not provoke your children to anger with harsh words. A couple other ways you can provoke your children to anger is overindulgence. This is the Frankie's fun park, Dad. That's what I'm calling it. 
Frankie's Fun Park dad that works a lot. So when he's home, he doesn't want to be the mean ogre. It's kind of counterintuitive. What you've got to realize, dads, is that if you're the dad that feels like it's your job in life to give your kids exactly what they want and even better, you need to realize what you're going to be creating is a bunch of little angry children. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make them more satisfied and more content with life. It actually creates the opposite. And then if you condition them to getting whatever they want as children, you'll find that not only are they angry children, they'll be angry adults because they'll find that life doesn't work that way. So you can provoke your children to anger with harsh words. You can do it with overindulgence. And you can do it with inconsistency. Inconsistency means that you've had a bad day and you come home and you treat the children totally different than you do maybe the next day. Or you've had a bad week and then you come home and you treat the children totally different than you treat them the week prior. The kids never know what to expect. And you never have any consistent time with them. I'm encouraging you to realize that what that creates is an angry childhood. I'll give you an example. If I were sedentary two or three weeks out of the month, and then just one week out of the month, I'm just like, man, I'm going to raise up and get in shape this week. So I go work out, my body's going to be angry. My body's going to be fighting back. If I do that once a month, if I have one real vigorous workout once a month, my body is going to be quite angry. And the same is true of your children. If you try and engage them once a month and you're inconsistent, what you're going to find is that you're going to have a bunch of angry children. What they need is daily, consistent fathering from you. Now, if you are not to provoke them to anger, Here's the other verb that's the command. You are to bring them up in instruction and discipline of the Lord. That word for bring them up is the same word if you're still in Ephesians. If you're not, go ahead and turn back there. Ephesians chapter 5, I want you to see this word. I want you to understand what it means to bring them up. Remember, this is a commandment from God, so the people of God are attentive to it. The fathers of the people of God should be really tuned in right now. Going, oh, God's speaking to me. I do not want to provoke. Instead, I want to bring up my children. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. This has to do with fathers and, or husbands and wives. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes his flesh and cherishes his flesh. The word there for bring up children is the same word here for nourish. Same exact word in Greek. So fathers, what you're supposed to do is you are not to provoke your children to anger. Those are just three ways. Harsh words, overindulgence, inconsistency. Instead, you are to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I hope when you hear the word nourish, you're thinking about diets and things like that. You're thinking about food. And I hope that you, you've connected the dots to think about how often you eat, how daily it is, how, how consistent it is. That is to be, that's the character of what you as fathers are to give your children. Something daily, even hourly in a lot of our cases. Good nourishment. This thing that we're doing with them, this bringing up, is to be daily like a good diet. It's also to be like a gardener tends to his garden in a daily way. I found a quote, <clears throat> a little excerpt from the 1926, you got to listen to this, 
I know some of y'all are kind of tuned out. This verse-by-verse stuff is a little bit different from a story. So you've got to work hard at engaging it because I'm not done. <laughs> Listen to this excerpt from the 1926 Minnesota Crime Commission. Listen to this. I, I spent a lot of time reading the Minnesota Crime Commission. <laughs> Actually, I found it online. It's pretty good. Every baby starts life as a little savage. It gets better. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which this is the best part of the line. Deny him these, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. If he didn't weigh 10 pounds, if he weighed 200, get ready. Somebody's going to get hurt. Says he's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child, listen, including my child, (laughs) every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer. That's pretty strong, isn't it? If you're reading that, some of y'all that haven't had kids yet, you're going, oh, man, I just disagree with that. Man, that's just a poor, uh, that's a little bit extreme. Those of you who had kids are sitting there raising kids, they're going, yep, a little delinquent. <laughs> <laughs> little criminal, hit the, hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Listen, David said of himself when he was born, he said, I was born in iniquity, conceived in sin. And the reality is, Fathers, hear this, fathers, when your children are born, what you inherit is not a beautiful little garden. Instead, what you inherit is a jungle, triple canopy jungle. Got monkeys flying around in it, iguanas, bugs, big spiders, snakes. You inherit a little bitty jungle, and you've got 18 years with a pair of little clippers and a shovel and maybe a, a rake to try and turn that jungle into a little garden. And the reality is, in 18 years, you can't get it done. But you start cultivating the soil. You remove a few of the, the vines and the critters from that little jungle. And the reality is, the beauty of, the reality is, is that Proverbs 22.6 says, when you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old. He will not depart from it. <laughs> that ought to be an encouragement to you. It doesn't mean when he's old and decrepit, they'll start obeying you. <laughs> but it means when they're older. <laughs> so right now, when you feel like you're just fighting the jungle, Christy's thinking that right now with Daniel. She just left a minute ago. She's got a jungle in her hands. If you think, man, all I got is jungle. I got about four of them in the Thormans, about eight of them running around the house. <laughs> jungle everywhere. Be encouraged. And fathers, fathers, be about the work of tending to that little jungle. 
bathing it in prayer to turn it into a garden. How do you do that? He's got two things right there. First of all, discipline, and the second, instruction of the Lord. Those are your tools. Those are your implements as you tend to this little garden. Discipline, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. Turn there. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. This has to do with discipline, daddies, fathers. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Jungle is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Some people use that as just a passage to have to do with corporal punishment. I think it's a whole lot more about discipline in general, discipling. It has to do with training your children. And fathers, you've got to appreciate this is daddy's job. In many homes, in some cases, it's the same home where daddy just sleeps there and has some clothes hanging in the closet and he eats there. Mommy's the disciplinarian. And then daddies, some of those daddies, they also kind of become that Frankie's Fun Park daddy to feel like I'm going to give my kids a a, a fun Saturday and that's my job. Or we're going to roll around on the floor and we're going to let mommy be the ogre, the discipline ogre. Fathers, you are robbing your children of the person that should be leading them in discipline and that should be discipling. It's your job to disciple them. And you've got to appreciate two dads. This trend in parenting, a non-directive parenting trend, where we just kind of let kids feel their own way. <laughs> we kind of let them figure out when to self-regulate on TV. Oh, you tired of watching TV? Okay, well, turn it off whenever you want to. Oh, are you done eating? You want anything else? Here, let me open the cupboard. Whatever you want, babe. Knock yourself out. That's non-directive parenting. You ready to go to bed? Well, you go to bed whenever you want, lad. That's non-directive parenting. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not discipline. That's not discipling. It's like letting your kids navigate a highway across the highway on foot and hoping they don't get hit. Dads, it's your charge to give your children some boundaries, to discipline them, to guide them, and to disciple them. It's your charge. Mom's just your helper in that. What are you to disciple them with? The instruction of the Lord. If discipline removes the weeds and the vines and the critters, it's the instruction of the Lord that sows the proper seed into this garden. And the instruction of the Lord, you've got to appreciate dads, that word for instruction there is verbal education. Your kids can't get it without you speaking it. That's why some people are still on the hunt for the perfect church. I want to find the church that can train my children up in the Lord because I'm not doing it. Fathers, it's your job. You can even send them to Christian school. That's great. Christian school is a great thing. Public school is a great thing. You can send them to special places to where they can get the goods. You are the administrator of the goods primarily. You give them the instruction of the Lord. It's your job, Dad. You cannot relegate that. You can't farm it out. You can't hire it out. It's your job. The church's call is to equip you to do the thing that you are to do. Remember, this is God's divine design. 
If it sounds unnatural, you're like, man, I just don't know how I can do all this. I appreciate these last couple of months. You've kind of been holding up this whole, this high view of shepherding, this high view of family. But as I hear all this, it's just not natural for me. I'm not much of a speaker. I'm not much of a reader. (laughs) If it's natural, it's probably sin. The people of God are to be different. We've got a divine resource. We've got the Holy Spirit within. And we've got this word that enables us to follow through on a divine design. I charge you, fathers, to do these things. And children, I charge you to obey and honor. Let me pray. Lord, as we consider these sort of heavy commands uh, for children to obey and honor, for fathers to not provoke and to bring up and nourish, Lord, I confess as one of these fathers and one of these who used to be a kid that it's really hard. And Lord, in the same breath, I confess and I celebrate that in Christ that we can do these things, that we have the force, and that through Christ and through believing on Him and enjoying Him, that You give us the resources that we need to follow through on what's natural and to actually experience the divine. Lord, we confess we cannot muster this sort of home environment. We beg for it through the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our homes. We pray that this will take place for your glory, not for our pride, not for tidy, sin-managed little homes, but so that we will be salty and bright and aromatic people that are worshiping you as we enjoy you. And that others, others will see it, others will smell that sweet aroma, and that others will enjoy you as a result. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.